right, let's uh, let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for this opportunity to come together to worship you, to study your word, to learn about uh, the time that uh, Jesus Christ was here on earth and uh, just the many things that he did and accomplished and displayed uh, about the nature of God to us. And uh, God, I just pray that you be with us as we uh, continue this study and uh, that we would be just mindful of these things, that they would um, be things that we, we think deeply about and come to a better understanding of you. And uh, Lord, just that you would, uh, your name would be honored in this time. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we are continuing our study on the life of Jesus. Um, last week we uh, we looked at the the birth and childhood of Jesus, um, and this week we're going to be looking at the beginning of his uh, of his ministry. Um, now, with some of these things, um, there's some debate on the exact correct chronology. Um, you know, putting together the the four Gospels can be uh, a little bit tricky sometimes because the uh, the Gospel writers did not um, did not always put uh, the events that they that they write down in chronolo- in, in chronological order, uh, and so reconstructing the, the the actual chronological order can be somewhat difficult. So. Uh, if, you have a different opinion from what I present. That's you know that's, that's fine. I'm presenting a way of looking at things. So, um, but anyway, so as we begin, um, all four of the Gospels uh, begin Jesus's ministry as an adult with the ministry of John the Baptist. All of them uh, bring that up. So Matthew chapter three. Uh, first two verses says in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and so there we see uh, John the Baptist you know he's he's out there in the wilderness of Judea um, and he's proclaiming a message of the kingdom coming now um, just jumping ahead to some later discussions in the Gospels um, about John, just so we can get a, a little picture of who he was. Um, later on, um, there's there's a time when some people come to Jesus and are asking uh, some questions, um, and then they, they leave. And so in, in Luke uh, chapter 7, beginning in verse uh, 24, uh, it says, when John's messengers had gone, and some messengers had come, they'd asked Jesus about, uh, you know, they'd basically just been delivering a message from John, asking questions. Uh, and they'd gone, and Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. He said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. So there, Jesus gives us a little information about who John was. What, you know, I love to ask the questions. What, the obvious questions really is, like, who does Jesus say that, that John was? 
What do we learn about John from this? Anyone? Got a lot more um, little ears in here this morning, so. Jesus said John was a prophet. Yeah, he was a prophet, right? So what does that mean? What does it mean that John was a prophet? Um, that a prophet was uh, men who spoke what God had told them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's a that's an excellent definition of what a prophet is. It's 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 people who spoke what what God told them. So people who are speaking for God. Um, and um, obviously, you know, Jesus is telling us that he was a prophet. Um, and he was widely regarded as a prophet. It's not just that Jesus is telling us this. Um, if you look in Mark chapter 11, uh, beginning in verse 29, here's another instance where John comes up later. Um, so Jesus is speaking to some people. And he, and Jesus said to them, I will ask uh, you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So you can see that like the people at large viewed John as a prophet. They viewed him as somebody who was actually speaking for God. Now what's, what's the significance of this? What's is it is it a big deal? I mean, it's like you know, the Old Testament's full of prophets. Is it a big deal that that John was a prophet? Is he just just another prophet? Well, wasn't it what four hundred years mm-hmm. between the last book, at least that we have of a prophet and John? Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, there was what is commonly referred to as the four hundred years of silence, where. Um, no one had received a word from the Lord for 400 years. Um, you know, they had the recorded books of like, this is what God has said in the past, but God hasn't spoken to us for 400 years. Um, and then you have John come on the scene, and uh, the people at large are recognizing this is a man who's speaking from God. God is God is now sending us a message again. So going back to the actual um, events there in um, the early parts of the Gospels, Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 15, uh, it says, As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them, uh, them all, saying, I baptize you with water. But he who is... Uh, mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now there's a lot in here. Um, What do we see just right there at the beginning of verse 15? What's what's going on? What's what's in people's minds? Uh, 
Well, they, you know, for centuries they've been looking for the Messiah, mm-hmm. and here's this man who uh, caught their attention to the degree that they thought, well, maybe this guy is actually the Messiah right. to come. Right. Yeah, they're, but they're looking forward to it, right? I mean, there's yeah. an expectation there, right? Yeah. And we, we talked about that when, when we looked at the, at the birth of Jesus um, and his, you know, his childhood. You know, there was there was this expectation, you know, it's like he showed up, you know, they, they, they took him as a baby to the temple and there was this expectation of God sending uh, the Savior, sending the Messiah. And so there's all these people there in expectation and here's this person, he's speaking from God. It's like, well, is, is he the Christ? Is he the one? Um, what did what did John do in response to this? Well, he basically said, uh, yeah, actually, I'm I'm not even worthy to undo the sandals of a right. of, of the Messiah. So no, I'm not I'm not him. Right. Yeah. So he pointed away from himself and pointed to Jesus. Basically saying that look, I'm I'm here just as a representative. I'm here to tell you about this person, but this is the person you're waiting for. Is is uh, is Jesus? I mean, obviously he doesn't give him give point point him out by name at this point, but uh, he's he's pointing to someone else who is the Christ. Um, what else can we see about uh, John's teaching here in this this passage? Is it simply that there's another person who is the Christ? Well, can we say it's that Christ is imminent? I mean, it's, it's when he says that he, he basically says he's a precursor. He says, I'm coming to announce him, mm-hmm. and to, to announce his coming, but right. I'm not. Right, yeah. So, yep, he's coming right away. Um, what else? Um, well, and then when the Messiah does come, he's he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, but then he also comes with a, a purpose. You know, uh, he's, he's uh, gathering, but then also there's going to be... Uh, what well, doesn't say judgment, but it talks about the chaff that will be burned with unquenchable mm-hmm. fire. That sounds a lot like judgment. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Stuff. Yeah, so... Yeah, uh, there's definitely a, um, a an emphasis, emphasis of, of coming judgment. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just in the larger picture, I'm, I'm sure that like all of you are familiar with John the Baptist, and you can look around the context. Um, what's what's he called people to do in light of this? It's not actually in these three verses, but. Well, there's, he, he calls them to repent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, he's calling them to repent. Um, and there's also a section in there where he warns them against trusting in their own heritage, right? He says, don't begin to say to yourselves that you're children of Abraham. It's like, oh, yeah, we're children of Abraham. So we're, we're good. We don't have to worry about the judgment of God. That's just going to fall on other people. Um, he says, no, God can raise up children from stones uh, and he calls them all to repent there's just that 
um, that grave warning that, um, yeah, that Christ is coming and it might not be good for you if you're not prepared for that. So then Jesus comes onto the scene. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, uh, verses 13 through 15. Uh, it says, Then Jesus came uh, from Galilee. And I apologize if you are following along. We are going to be bouncing back and forth between the Gospels. So I, I apologize for exercising your, your, your hands or your fingers. Um, anyway, Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Uh, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. Uh, and John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. So here we see Jesus himself coming to be baptized by John. Now why did John object to baptizing Jesus? Well, he saw himself as unworthy, one, to baptize Jesus. He also saw himself, saw his need for saving, his need for baptism. And it was, no, Jesus, you you are greater than I, I, you are here to save me. I I need you to baptize me. Right, yeah. So, yeah, definitely very much a a sense of the superiority of Jesus and his own sinfulness. is there anything more than that? Um, I mean, that's very much um, focused on like John's perception of himself, which is kind of you know appropriate to point that out. Um, but if there was just somebody else that was greater than John, would he have the same objection? Is there something specific about the fact that it was Jesus? people getting baptized what was what was the the i mean you know john shows up in the wilderness and he's baptizing people this is you know this is a basically a new thing um you know there were some forms of baptism that were practiced to some degree before john but it's basically a new thing what why was he having people be baptized to do with uh, the fact that people were... Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, go ahead. Does um, baptism have to do with uh, some sort of symbol that has to do with uh, you were saved, sort of? A s- symbol with, has to do with what? So I don't, I don't really know much about baptism, but it has to do something with save, saving people. Okay, with saving people? Yeah. Well, it's it's definitely the idea that, like, that people are sinful. People... Um, need a, a washing, as it is, as it were. Um, it's you know people are submitting to baptism because they realize that they themselves are not worthy 
to stand before God. Um, and when you think about it, you think about Jesus, it's like, well, does Jesus need to be baptized? And if he's the sinless son of God, well, I just, um, it, it makes sense that you're like, well, wait a second, Jesus, you you don't really need to be baptized here, do you? Um, you're, you're already sinless. You don't need to repent of your sin. Um, so, I mean, we can definitely understand John's objection here. Um, so why was Jesus baptized? This is, this is a, a question that has puzzled people a lot, but yes. To encourage the others first to well, well, get baptized and well, worship him. Okay, all right. To encourage other people to, bapti- to get baptized. I think that's an appropriate uh, point. Um, we might say that he was um, basically showing what an observant Jew should do in this circumstance. This is this is what somebody who fears God and wants to obey God ought to do, is to get baptized. But and through the baptism later on in this passage, it it, it was the opportunity to show. Not, it was to show the beginning of Christ's ministry to show who he actually was. And mm-hmm. as we go on in this passage, it, this is a passage where. Uh, the, you see the Trinity all together where God is saying, exactly. this is my son. This was mm-hmm. him showing himself to the Jewish people. Right, right, yeah. So this is, in a sense, it's like a dedication at the beginning of his earthly ministry and a revealing of who he is. So yeah, that's that's absolutely correct. Anything well, else? Well, the, the, the priests would be uh, baptized when they took up an office. You see that Exodus 29 mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, and so, you know, Christ was sort of uh, being set apart for the ministry mm-hmm. that he had on yeah. earth. Yeah. So. Yeah. Very much so. Anything else? I think another thing you might point out is um, that he was identifying with sinners. Um, when you when you think about it, um, you know he came to earth to live a life in our place and to identify with us to be a human being um, in all the weakness that, that that involves and so he was identifying himself with us not that he was himself sinful but that he was in a sense putting himself in our place um, and you could also say that he was affirming John's message he was basically showing up and saying this guy John what he's saying is true he is in fact speaking for God and then after he'd been baptized um, and Mark pointed this out already uh, continuing in Matthew verse 16 and when Jesus was baptized immediately he went up uh, from the water and behold the heavens were opened to him And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And so, as as Mark pointed out, we have all three members of the Trinity basically on display here. This is is one of those passages that's a little bit difficult for people with a oneness theology to, to deal with, because even though there is only one God, 
we see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in some sort of distinction here in this passage. Um, all, all together, but um, in distinction. So, um, Now at this point, then, Jesus doesn't immediately begin his ministry. Um, something else happens here. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, as it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So before he actually begins his ministry, he's been baptized, he's been revealed to be the Son of God. Um, and then he goes out into the wilderness, uh, and he fasts for 40 days. Um, and Satan comes, and he tempts him. Now, um, this is probably a question that that uh, we've all dealt with various times in our uh, times in, in church and Sunday school and all these things. Um, but how is it that God could be tempted? And we've got... We've got Jesus getting tempted here. How's how is that possible? Yes. Our sinful hearts may be able deceive us from the truth. Okay, that's certainly how we can be tempted. But does Jesus have a sinful heart? No. So that raises the question then: How could Jesus be tempted? He doesn't have a sinful heart. <clears throat> So um, it, it is showing Christ's humanity. It is showing him he, he is at once fully God and fully man. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. It's definitely showing his humanity. So his temptation is only outward. Mm-hmm. It's not inward. Right. Such as we might be tempted because we do have that sinful heart. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a that's kind of the important distinction I wanted to bring out is that you can still have temptation when you speak of an outward temptation. Uh, where somebody comes to you and they offer you something that is in itself good or desirable, but that like the way they're asking you to you know to to grab hold of it is sinful, and so he can you know Jesus can be tempted in that sense that a temptation can be placed before him, but because Jesus is different from us, his heart is not sinful, um, is always obedient to God, then that temptation comes and it has no inward pull on him um, and he rejects it um, but that's not to diminish it to where it was easy for him to reject it because uh, you think about the first one you know 
like he's been fasting for 40 days and it's like yeah just just make some bread you can just end that hunger right now um and i'm sure that jesus was you know very much thinking some bread would be really nice right now but he understood that it would be sinful for him to do this and so uh, he did not um he did not uh fall into that temptation um well, Chris, and two, the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, you see the, the agony of wrestling that Christ mm-hmm. goes through. So it wasn't just a piece of cake, right. you know, as he encountered these things. It was it was real life, like yeah. where we struggle. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Throughout his life, he um, was presented with many opportunities to, to do something that he shouldn't, that would have been easier. Um, but he chose the way of, of suffering. Um, and that's, I mean, that's kind of the, the, the theme you see there with, with Jesus is uh, he is appointed for suffering. He knows this. Um, and he's basically asked, I mean, that's something that you, this kind of like all of these temptations have in common, is you could avoid the suffering that's appointed for you. You could rule all these kingdoms and not have to go through all this suffering. Um, but um, but Jesus resists that temptation. Um, Satan is basically asking him not to trust the goodness of God. Now does that sound familiar at all? Satan asking somebody to not trust the goodness of God. Basically, the temptation in the Garden of Eden. Yeah, temptation in the Garden of Eden when, when uh, the serpent came to, uh, to Eve and it's like, oh yeah, God's God's not really concerned about your good. He's trying to keep something from you, so he's he's telling you that you you'll die if you eat this. And he got Eve to question the goodness of God. Um, but Jesus, he was obedient, or Adam and Eve were disobedient. There's a very much uh, a, a parallel there, that he was trusting what God said. He was being obedient to God's commands, um, where Adam and Eve fell. Because Christ is the second Adam. He is... Uh, the perfect man, the the one who came and obeyed uh, the covenant of works, if you want to use that terminology. Um, you know, Adam and Eve were were presented that uh, that position that you know where if you obey, you have life; if you disobey, the result is death. And Jesus put in the same situation: if you obey, you have life; if you disobey. The result is death, and he obeyed on our behalf. Um, you know that's something that we you know talk about a lot, and I'm sure we will see repeatedly as we look through the Gospels. Is that um, Jesus was living a human life for us as our substitute, and uh, this is a part of that that he was being obedient to the covenant of works for us just as uh, Adam and Eve failed to obey the covenant of works. Any other thoughts on on that? 
All right. And, you know, we could spend just tons of time on all these passages if we wanted to, to do it, but we only have so many weeks to get through the whole life of Christ. So just hit some highlights here. So um, so after that, um, after Jesus returned from the wilderness, he began his ministry. Uh, and for a while, uh, he and John were both teaching at the same time um, and largely in the same area. Um And some of Jesus' first disciples had originally been disciples of John. So, over in the Gospel of John, this is, um, again, putting things in uh, in chronological order can be difficult, but presumably this is shortly after Jesus returned from the wilderness. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 35 Uh, It says, the next day, uh, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, uh, for it was about the tenth hour. Uh, One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Uh, He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Uh, He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So here we see um, some of Jesus' first disciples, and he's, he's picking some of them up from, from John. Um, now, this is introduced with John seeing Jesus and saying, Behold the Lamb of God. Uh, why, did, why did Jesus, or so why, why did John call Jesus the Lamb of God? Uh, lamb would be the traditional sacrifice for the Jewish people, mm-hmm. and it's foreshadowing, it's telling, it's telling what Jesus is going to be doing for us. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So it's it's very much tying Jesus back to, uh, specifically, like the Passover sacrifice, uh, the sacrifice for the people uh, so that they would escape the... Uh, the curse of God that came upon the Egyptians, um, and so just just immediately tying that, you know, everybody would would know, be familiar with that. That's what a that's what you do with a lamb, you know. It's 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 a sacrifice to avoid the judgment of God, um, and so yeah, that's exactly what's going on. So he's identifying him as the Savior and foreshadowing. His uh, his death. I mean, I don't I don't know how much John understood about exactly how that would would play out, but uh, in some way at least he understood uh, that Jesus uh, was the was the Lamb of God. Chris, I mean, you know, he didn't understand it completely because later on, mm-hmm. when he was in prison and about to be killed, he mm-hmm. sent word to say, "Are you right. Christ, the Messiah?" Yeah. So yeah, there was. Some enlightenment, but there was some confusion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's why I wanted to, to point out this. Like, we don't know how much he understood because, yeah, clearly later as he's sitting in prison, he is like going, 
Are you the one that we were supposed to wait for, or is there somebody else coming? Because he's he's no longer sure while he's sitting in prison. So, um, so, so we have this interaction then uh, between um, these uh, these disciples and Jesus. Um, so. Like Andrew is one of the two that just immediately starts following Jesus, and then he's going to go and he's going to get his brother Simon. Um, now, when he goes and he, he talks to Simon, how does he identify Jesus? He, he said he's the Messiah. He's the Messiah, he's the Christ. Yeah. Not just hey, there's this teacher that John pointed us to, and you know said he's somebody important. It's like he's he's the Messiah, he's the Christ. Um, just immediately identifying him. It's like this is, you know, again going back to this expectation. It's like everybody is expecting God to send the Christ uh, to to bring salvation to the people of Israel, and Andrew. He, he's already come to the conclusion. This is him. This is the guy. Um, and then, of course, we have Simon uh, coming and speaking to Jesus. And then, uh, what, what, is, what does Jesus say to, to Simon? First of all, you're Simon, the son of John. So. I don't know. That that could be something where he, he he's revealing knowledge that he knows something beyond normal. But then he renames him Cephas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't. I don't know. I mean, that's something I hadn't actually even considered. It's like, is he is he uh, displaying his supernatural knowledge by identifying who his father is? I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't necessarily like. Yeah. Uh, John, the author of the gospel, doesn't necessarily bring out that that's what's going on, but it's certainly possible. Uh, but then, yeah, he he uh, he gives him a new name, uh, Cephas, uh, which is Peter. Does anybody know what that is if we translate it over in English? Rock. Rock. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that'll that will come up uh, more specifically when uh, we get to the point where where Peter uh, identifies Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, and um, and Jesus, you know, makes a big deal about you know that you are. You are Peter, and I'll just go ahead and give you my interpretation of that. It's like, on this rock, this confession of who I am, I'm going to build my church. Um, there, are, there are people who would say that it's on Peter that he's going to build the church, but uh, typically I think that's a, that's a mistake of the, of the Roman Catholic Church. So, But, um, but you have this, this rock of the confession of, of who Jesus is. Um, that's what the church is uh, is built on, and he just like even before this happens, Jesus is identifying Peter as basically as someone he knows is going to uh, make that confession. So here, two of the uh, you know of the of the inner circle of Jesus's followers uh, are picked up here just right at the right at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. Um, continuing on, verse 43, uh, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. 
And he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Uh, now Philip was from Bethsaida, uh, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him whom Moses uh, in the law and also the prophets wrote, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So here we see more disciples being gathered that are going to be part of the twelve. Um, so, and, I, and we also see, um, well, I mean, what's, what's the... The immediate parallel we see with uh, the the previous passage. What's happening here that something pretty similar happened in the previous passage? We called one, or one kind of came and then got another person. Yeah, it's like you you got somebody who's like, wow, it's this Jesus guy. I'm gonna go tell somebody else. Yeah, he needs the he needs to come along. So yeah, we see. I mean, definitely like a. I mean. You know, this should be an encouragement for us to, to be evangelistic. Um, but it's like, yeah, this, these people, just like they've met Jesus and they, they want to go tell other people, hey, you need to come and see this, this Jesus. So how does Philip describe Jesus to Nathaniel? We saw that, uh, that uh, Andrew... You know, when he went and told Peter, he was like, "Well, this is this is the the Christ." So, what does what does Philip do? He described him as uh, basically the one who Moses, the law and prophets, had spoken. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So he's identifying him as the prophesied one. I don't, I don't think we should, you know, mean. I don't think we should take that as meaning something different than the Christ, but simply it's like he's pointing out, it's like this is the one that was that was prophesied. This is the one that we've been told is coming. Um, what's Philip's initial reaction to this? Anything good from Mount Nazareth? Yeah, yeah. He's he's got his his prejudices about you know certain geographical regions. Um, but then what's his reaction after he speaks with Jesus? Israelite, indeed, and there's no deceit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He says he's this, after they have their little conversation, his final reaction is, uh, you are the son, rabbi, uh-huh. teacher, you are the son of God. Right. You are the king of Israel. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's pretty high praise, right? Yeah. Like, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Um, and again, I don't think this would be distinguished in their minds from you know, the, the Christ, uh, the one that was prophesied, the son of God, the king of Israel. I think they understood that this is, this is all just different ways you can refer to the same individual. 
but they're all like coming to this conclusion that this is this is who this is. Um, what what brought about this change in in Philip? I mean, he was looking as like, oh, he's from Nazareth, really? He's from Nazareth? What what was this sudden turnaround? Explain the supernatural knowledge of uh, knowing who he was, mm-hmm. um, and and then also seeing him under the fig tree. Right, right, and. John here clearly is presenting this as miraculous knowledge, right? That like basically like Philip was under a fig tree, obviously some distance away from where Jesus was. And like when Jesus says, Yeah, I saw you under the fig tree, I'm sure he was thinking, How in the world did you know I was under the fig tree? Um, but he recognized that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't some trick. You know, this is this is somebody who has supernatural power. And just immediately recognized that you know this this is who you know this is who Philip says he was. Or I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes, that's Nathaniel came to that conclusion. Am I, am I, am I getting this backwards? Yeah, Nathaniel came to the conclusion that um, that yeah Philip is correct. Um, and what is Jesus? Uh, promise here after this confession from Nathaniel. You will see greater things. Truly I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels God ascending and descending to the Son of Man. Right? So yeah, there's a promise that he's gonna he's gonna see better things than this. It's like, yeah, it's like saw you under the fig tree? That's that's nothing. Um you're gonna you're gonna see more wonderful things than this. So Jesus has picked up a few disciples, and he's uh, at this point he's on his way uh, to Galilee. Most of this period of Jesus's life is spent ministering in the region of Judea. Um, and if you guys remember uh, from when we looked at the map uh, a few weeks ago, and I don't if you still have your map, but um, you know Galilee is is up in the north, and Judea is down in the south. Um, so a bit of a geographic dis- difference, um, distance. But uh, most of this period, Jesus is ministering in Judea. Uh, but he does take a little trip up to Galilee uh, for a wedding. Um, and so in John chapter 2, uh, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Uh, Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Uh, now there were six stone jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, uh, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. And this is the first of the signs that Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, 
and his disciples believed in him. So here, you know, one of one of the most famous and well-known of Jesus's miracles, turning water into wine. Um, why did why did Jesus perform this miracle? His mother asked him. Mm-hmm. Mother asked him. Was that the extent of it? to start his ministry. Okay. He's starting his ministry. Um, so what's what's significant about performing a miracle if he's starting his ministry? Well, John says he's, he's manifesting his glory. Right. He's, he's basically showing who he is, mm-hmm. and, uh, and as a result of that, the disciples believed in him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you're you're even jumping ahead there, oh, but sorry. yeah, you know, that was, that was just, just going to be my next question. But yeah, he's he's manifesting his glory. He's he is showing who he is. He's he's beginning his ministry, and he's he's showing um, he's not just some ordinary person, but he um, he is able to control um, all of you know all of nature, as we'll as we'll see as we continue, um, and then. How did his disciples react to this? They they believed in him. I mean, this was something. It's like you already see, like they're they're already believing in him. They're they're convinced he's the he's the Christ, and um, you know it's even more so. It's like he performs this miracle, and they are believing in him. Now, um, after this, he returns back to Judea, and he goes to Jerusalem. Uh, Continuing in verse uh, 13, uh, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Uh, in the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and uh, the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple uh, with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Uh, and he told those who sold the pigeons, uh, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Uh, Now, when he was uh, in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So, uh, one thing, this is, I'm I'm sure most of you are familiar with the cleansing of the temple that happens uh, at the end of Jesus' life. And there are some people who would look at this and say, well, this is John just putting it at the beginning of his gospel, even though it happened later. Um, But at least from from my perspective, it looks it looks more likely that he actually did this twice. That early in his ministry, he cleansed the temple, 
and then later in his life he cleansed the temple again. So, but if you you know if you think that this is something that only happened uh, at the end of his ministry, then that's that's fine as well. That's a debatable point. But so so what's going on here? Um, we have Jesus going and causing a big stir in the temple. What's what's going on? Who has the authority to determine what goes on and what doesn't go on in the temple of God? Only God. Only God, right? The Levites are only doing what God told them to do. Right? Right? That's what they should be doing anyway. Yes. <laughs> um, but obviously we have uh, some people here that are doing things in the temple of God that aren't allowed. Um, and Jesus is in a sense, uh, presenting his authority. Um, We also see here that he's apparently doing signs uh, that aren't explicitly recorded in what's going on here because it it says that people were believing in him because of the signs that he performed. Um, So presumably during this period of time, he is performing more signs um, that are indicative of, of who he is. Um, now he makes a statement here um, that people don't understand at the time where he talks about uh, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days Um, and if you remember um, just from your previous exposure to the life of Christ when we get there to the trial of Jesus this actually comes up people remembered that he said this um, and they use it as a charge against him that he was claiming he would destroy the temple. Um, but uh, clearly, um, the disciples here recognize this, you know, after the fact at least, um, that he wasn't talking about the physical temple where he was at. He was talking about the temple of his body. And so here Jesus is predicting his own death and resurrection uh, after three days. Now what's you know, we, we see that like people are believing in Jesus. What is Jesus's reaction in response um, to all of these people? He didn't entrust himself to them. Yeah, he did not entrust himself to them. Um, and we see, like, again. He is divine. He is God. He knows the heart of man. He knows that these people are not trustworthy. Um, now, presumably, um, we have here a distinction between um, people who are really believing in him and people who are believing him on the surface, but like really their hearts aren't really set on him um, because he recognizes... like. Um, you know, things change a little bit, they're going to turn on me. Um, and so he does not entrust himself to these people. Something else that happens um, during this period um, is that Jesus has a meeting um, with uh, one of the Pharisees. Uh, John chapter 3, 
um, beginning in verse 1, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So, what's... And, then, you know, there's, there's a whole long conversation here with Nicodemus, and we're not going to go over the whole thing, but... Um, what do we see about Nicodemus's reaction to Jesus? Either from just these two verses or anything that we see in the in the following verses. He did it in secret. He didn't do it. He, he did it in secret, not during the day. Right? Yeah. He did it in secret. Why is that? Why did Nicodemus come to Jesus in secret? I mean. Maybe other Pharisees or Jews wouldn't approve of it. I'm sorry. Maybe other people wouldn't approve of it. Okay, other people wouldn't approve of it? Yeah. There was already beginning to be some hostility from the Jewish leaders. And so Nicodemus was afraid, like, if I just go and just talk to him, then there might be repercussions against me. Um, because he was amongst the, the leadership. He was a part of the Sanhedrin. Um, and so he wanted to, like, talk to Jesus. Obviously thought he was, you know, there's some truth coming from this guy. But he was concerned about the repercussions from other people. Um, because there was already some hostility um, coming from uh, from some of the religious leaders. Um and that, you know, that whole discussion with uh, with Jesus is between Jesus and Nicodemus is definitely uh, worth consideration. But again, this is kind of a survey, so we can't just go into it in detail. But um, I certainly recommend that for your perusal. Um, just as we uh, come to the end here, um, John chapter three, uh, verses twenty-two and following. Um, it says, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them, and he was baptizing. Uh, John also was baptizing uh, at Anon near Salem, uh, because there was plenty, uh, because water was plentiful there, and uh, people were coming and being baptized. For John had not uh, yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose among. Uh, arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear, wit uh, bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ but I have been sent before him. The one who uh, has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy is of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. So what's, what's going on here? What's the situation? Jesus and John are both continuing their parallel ministries, right? What People come to John with some concerns, though, right? What are they concerned about? 
Well, I mean, it seems like they're concerned that Jesus is stealing John's ministry. Right. Well, yeah. They're not coming to us anymore. They're going to him. Right. Yeah. So there's it's like, well, it seems like Jesus is doing better than you are here. Um, and what's what's John's response? Yeah. Exactly. Thumbs up. It's like, yeah. It's, I mean, it's it's just exactly what happened before when they asked him, "Are you the Christ?" He's like, "I'm I'm just a messenger. He's the guy." Um, and so it's like John realized that like his his uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for his his mission his uh, his assignment as uh, the forerunner of Jesus, the one who would point to Jesus, is, is coming to a close now that Jesus is here. And so he's pointing people to Jesus and saying, like, he's got to increase. I, I, I'm decreasing here. I'm, I'm going off the scene because my assignment is, is completed. Um, and so Jesus is the one that you should point to, or that you should pay attention to. So, so John, very humbly, just points to Jesus. Um, because he is the important one. Um, and um, so as we continue our study, we're going to look at uh, as Jesus moves his ministry to Galilee, where he's going to be spending most of the rest of, of his uh, ministry, uh, ministering in Galilee. But this is a look at um, basically at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, um, which includes a, a significant amount of time preaching here in the, in the area of Judea. So any final comments or questions as well. All right. let's, uh, let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we just, again, we thank you for your word, for the opportunity we have to study it, and just to be reminded of these things. Uh, so many of them are undoubtedly very familiar to us, but God, it's just always good to dwell on these things, uh, to be reminded that, uh, that your um, most faithful servants, um, all uh, looked to Jesus, pointed to Jesus, told others about Jesus. Uh, God, that that truly um, the God-Man is the one to whom we should look, and uh, He has the words of eternal life. And God, I just pray that we would continue uh, to grow in our love uh, for Jesus and that our devotion would continue to grow and we would walk in the footsteps that you have called us to. I pray in Christ's name.